0: Welcome back to Hearness, Contemporary Art Practices for Connecting Body, Place and Space. This month we have the pleasure of speaking to Roger Foley Fogg. Roger has been making art with light since the 1950s. During the 1960s and 70s he became a household name as Ellis D. Fogg for his psychedelic light shows and he was a prominent member of the Sydney Yellow House. Roger has created work for large companies, politicians and different cultural groups around the world. We spoke to Roger on two separate occasions for this podcast, once in cyberspace and another in his home on the Northern Rivers in Australia, where we spoke about his deep understanding of light and how he uses it to explore the notion of a cosmic consciousness. I was just going to ask you when you said you experienced that connection with the earth and other people and do you remember the first time
1: I spent my whole youth from as far back as I can remember five four three two one zero sitting at the beach watching little pools of water and then being amazed at the pools in the little rock ledges of the beach made perfect circles Yeah as the sand swirled around and all the rocks had perfect circles worn into them by the waves and there'd be little creatures in there and you'd watch the water come rushing in and then my mother put me onto uh, Leonardo da Vinci's drawings of water that blew my mind.
0: Because I know you lived in the mountains obviously for a long time did you ever experience that sense of heerness in the bush like like you do on the beach? Where-
1: when when i was younger and i'd go on bushwalks yes 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 mm. i i used to i used to draw all the waterfalls you know when when i was in, in my late teens yeah my mum used to take take us up the mountains all the time little holidays we'd stay up there sometimes there were log cabins in springwood that you could rent yeah <laughs> and uh, we'd go up there with a few friends and stay for a weekend. So I spent a lot of time in the bush down like that so and I was always, I, loved, I just love lying out in the sun looking at the clouds you know and the clouds have been making all these different wonderful shapes and particularly at night you watch the clouds at night and the moon. The cloud will go over the moon and then the cloud where it's semi-transparent and the light will shine through it, and the cloud will become very bright. But then, as the cloud gets denser and denser, it gets black because the light can't get through. But the light's around the edges, and then the cloud keeps moving, and all of a sudden, the light comes through again. And it was all that sort of stuff I found fascinating, you know. Yeah. And um, people used to say I was uh, What are they Well, that's why they called me fog. Even from a very young age, I was called Fog. Yeah. Because I was a dreamer. People assumed, I, but people assumed I was thinking of nothing. Well, actually, I was thinking of everything. <laughs> you
0: know? Which can kind of be the same thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're
1: onto me, aren't you? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I've always been like that, really. That's why you know I, I can look out these windows here, which look at these beautiful row of gum trees, which once a year you'll see a koala up, <laughs> and uh, the way the wind rustles through them, you know, all that's wonderful stuff, you know.
0: So, do you find when you're um, when you're looking at this? Kind of phenomena of the earth and nature um, that you're not think that your thoughts become clearer, or you're just think you're thinking about what you're looking at.
1: No, no. Well, no. Well, sometimes I think you know. I, I when, when looking at the cloud and the light, I try to work out what's going on there. You know, yep. and then looking at the shadows on the ground from the sun shining from between the leaves of the trees, I'd. Really, took me a while to work out what was going on there because sometimes you'd see that really hard light outline of a leaf and then that would move away and there'd be a perfect circle. What's that from? A picture of a Sun. Really? Yep, have a look at the ground underneath the tree with with the Sun shining through the leaves. It's all circles and when it when a leaf comes into that circle if if, if if the beam of light is sharp enough, the leaf will be in perfect focus. But if the beam is not sharp, if too much light is coming through, it'll be fuzzy. Yeah. But it's, and then, you know, at every edge of a shadow, there's a rainbow. Really? But You'd have to need a microscope to see it. Because <laughs> light hitting a corner just splits into its frequencies you know each different color bends slightly differently and that's how rainbows work you know so um so you know i was interested in the why of it yeah but i was all but i was initially interested in the wonder of it but i got fascinated by light at uh, art school and I got fascinated by colour because I was doing physics at university at the same time I was doing art at East Sydney Tech and the physics teachers seemed to have a different idea of what light and colour was from what the artists had I was very fascinated by the anomalous qualities of light. Is it a wave or is it a stream of particles? And why is light invisible? I wondered. If light was visible the night sky would be white, not black, because there's a lot of light flying around up there. Yeah. Light only draws your attention to it when it actually strikes your eye, not when it's passing by. And light doesn't interfere with itself, you can shine two light beams through each other and they don't seem to pay any attention to the interaction. And then uh, the physicists were telling me that, you know, you combine all the colours together and you get white, whereas the artists and any kid with a paint tin knows when you join all the colours together it tends towards black. Yeah. So it was very strange to me, all these different anomalous things. And then I discovered uh, Maslow through reading Colin Wilson. He, uh, he uh, described uh, what Maslow called the peak experience, which is an experience that we have, everybody has. Most people don't recognise it, it seems when one is feeling most at one with the world at most when one is feeling very strongly that one is here i'll just quote a bit about maslow here maslow describes how the peak experience tends to be uplifting and ego transcending releases it releases creative energies it affirms the meaning and value of existence Gives a sense of purpose to the individual, gives a feeling of integration, leaves a permanent mark on the individual, evidently changing them for the better. They can be therapeutic in that they tend to increase the individual's free will.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because it just, I guess there's so many different ways. For all the different types of people so one person may get it out of one of your readings another person may get it from looking at your light sculptures um, or experiencing the light shows that you used to make um, in tandem with the music yeah Um, and I guess do you think that it's in terms of the the light works obviously there's the beauty and the spectacle of it um, and the layering of the bodies and the colours and it makes a kind of an otherworldliness that reframes the world that people were in or are in um, in a way that you can almost see yourself seeing so there's a kind of relationship between the the artwork and the and the viewer that makes the present moment very immediate
1: and exactly and yes, and exactly yes and everybody may have slightly different or a vastly different feeling that comes from uh, contemplating these works. but I think the important thing about the works is that uh, is that they bear a strong relationship I think to abstract expressionism and in particular uh, the work of Jackson Pollock. Our brain, is, our brain is being triggered by evolution to constantly look for patterns. Yep. And and that search is what seems to trigger that sense of oneness and the sense of being here now.
0: Is it like the brain just gives up trying, you know, or just goes with the flow of, of it all not really making sense?
1: No, I don't think <laughs> our, our, our i-brain connection gives up, but I think the eye brain connection is still going, yeah. trying to figure out what it's looking at. But I think that that search in your own head triggers maybe atavistic memories Yeah. that, uh, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think our brains—I mean, our brains are quite big, really, compared to what they're doing. Yes. There's a lot of stuff going on there that we haven't got a clue about.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just—just the language is our language is inadequate to describe really what's going on. People talk about uh, the explanations for a lot of quantum physical phenomena is. The only explanation that people come up with is, oh, there must be many worlds. You know, there must be parallel universes. They're constantly splitting off from each other. It occurred to me actually, if all these universes are splitting off from each other, they couldn't possibly be parallel. They must be divergent. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and that's why I think i think that's true you know we we do we all we are all on vergent universes we each have our own i think and some of our universes are clo- very close to some other people's universes and that's why we feel closer to some people and that other people who are on a totally different universe we don't feel close to them at all <laughs> yeah. we might feel frightened by them Who knows? Who knows? It's possible to get very spooky and start sounding like some crazed hippie, you know. (laughs) But, um, you know, you've got to leave yourself open to these possibilities. Yeah. I think, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like 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 they found
1: an eggshell the other day under somewhere up in the the ice. Yeah. An eggshell that's been broken and the critter that it was about the size of a football and the critter that lived inside had long gone and had broken through and, and they and dated and it was 60 million years old wow so um, lots of things yet to be found
0: Yeah.
1: you know we're out we're exploring space and we don't even really know what's out of the bottom of the ocean no but I think space exploration is important if we want to succeed as a species if we want to become better people and uh, and find a place in the universe with all the other living critters in the universe of which it has to be many 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 it's virtually impossible. We're the only living quitter in the universe on the planet Earth. Yeah. Statistically impossible.
0: Do you think it could be possible that um, there could be creatures all around us? You know, even on the planets we've discovered, but they're made up of different frequencies that we can't see.
1: Oh, exactly. Oh, there's lot, there'll be lots of other. Living creatures in the universe, but none of them will be like us because no. we are the su- we are the product of planet Earth. Yeah, there won't be any uh, carbon-based bipeds wandering around. <laughs> Wear it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's, yeah, but it's true, isn't it? Um, I wonder. So I wonder about with your. Work, did you create the works that you did to, tr- to create peak experiences for people? Yes, Was... well to
1: give you peak experiences and the sense of the numinous. Yeah. The realisation that there is one unifying force in the world of which we are all a part of, of which every living thing is a part of. And uh, the Indian Hindi concept of Vasudeva Katambakan, the world is one, has validity in physics as well as in life. Well, it has validity for me anyway. I've made a lot of mandalas in my time. And and mandalas, it wasn't until I went to India that I realised that the craftspeople's mandalas are always perfectly symmetrical, right? But all the artist's mandalas are not perfectly symmetrical, you know, as you, you mentioned before about having a little bit of imperfection, you know. Perfect mandalas don't work at all as they are machines. Yeah. And I like to include a sense of fun and joy in all my work the cosmic giggle because I think that's a very strong driving force.
0: What about your liquid light shows?
1: I try to combine different kinds of light show people when I do my shows and, and I, I treat them, I treat all the different kinds of effects like an orchestra. It's more like jazz. Yeah. What a light show is more like. Because each instrument does its own thing but it works in with the other interests because that's my role, bringing this instrument in and then saying, right, you've had your go. Now this one comes in and those two can come together.
0: Were you aiming for a kind of trance effect for the audience when they're looking at people with all these flashing lights? Was were you? Yeah, trans- yeah. I
1: think yeah, that's 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 a good way of putting it. But I was also primarily I think wanting to project an expression of joy. Yeah. And, and uh, this is fun, you know, and um, because I think a lot of things when they're called trance can have this sort of, oh, this is important sort of, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's why I think the cosmic Google again comes in, you know, if anybody gets too serious, at a light show and say, Oh, hang on, I've got the meaning of life, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. You know, we just fall about laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why mushrooms are good.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to ask you about too, like um the experience of a kind of cosmic consciousness when you're straight and you're looking at shadows you know, on the train, compared to hallucinogenic kind of cosmic consciousness.
1: Well, much more experience. intense.
0: So it's like the same it, thing but more intense.
1: Well, more intense, you know, but I think you can learn. I think the drug experience, like your glass of wine or going to the pub, lets you know that there's this other reality, you know, when you're more relaxed. And yeah. You know, too much drug taking, and and uh, it can lead you down rabbit holes, which you really don't want to go down. You know? no. <laughs> but um, but but it's good to let you know that there are other things there. Is that just, is that just not being, you know, is that the laziness, going to the beach and sitting in the sun and feeling a bit sleepy, and maybe have a glass of wine or a joint or something, you know? Is that is that a waste of time, you know? No. And, and, and no, of course not. Because that's what leads to new creativity. And I think it's important to do nothing. And I think Bertrand, one of the first philosophical books I ever owned was one that my mother gave to me when I was about 12, by Bertrand Russell it's called in praise of idleness yeah very important book so um and he pretty much says the same thing often when i after i would had an experience like that i'd find some problem that i'd have going on in the back of my mind which i hadn't even been thinking about would suddenly be solved wow and um, and that's how I've designed a lot of quite complex shows over the years. And um, yeah, yeah, weird things happen, you know. I mean, I designed a huge show. For, I had a, I had nine stages in a huge room, all going at the same time with different st- different styles of theatre experience, all at the same time. Anyway, I had a dream. If, You know, like what I call it a dream, one of these meditations. In my meditative state, I saw people tripping on those stairs. So that's why I realized the next day I had to move the stairs so they weren't sticking into the footpath and put them around the side, you know. Things like that. That's just an example, you know. Yeah, yeah. To
0: give you like a clarity of mind. You well, well it, it, problems will come forward.
1: It, the problems that are in the back of your mind can come forward, yeah. and your brain will solve them for you. Yeah. Well, they did for me. Yeah. Hairless is closely related to my concept of together, which comes from the Hindi saying vasadeva kachambakam, which means we are one and it is a personal centering tool to assist one's cells and vibrations that hold the body together and the spirit to integrate so that they become one in your body. Even though all your cells are identical, they all have a different role. And how do they know which one? How does each, how does a cell know that I've got to be a nose because this other cell's playing a finger, you know? Yeah. They're all communicating all the time and no scientists have ever been able to find out what how they're communicating at this stage because the messages are far too subtle for any detection system, Yeah, I, I believe. But they obviously must be communicating. Um, It is a personal centering tool to assist one's cells and vibrations and spirit to integrate so that while all the cells are identical, each have a different role to play and know, inverted commas, what that role is when complete, complete, complete and integrated into a whole. In much the same way that I feel that it is essential for humanity to integrate its individual parts to become one and further to become one with the planet. Yeah. And one one with the universe and with everything. I see this as a natural phenomenon which is only foiled by the greed and inhumanity of many, many humans who really do not have any humanity. And uh, that's why we have to overcome them. And that's the trouble with a lot of the hippies. They think, oh, everybody's got some goodness inside them. I don't think so. Some people are evil through and through. Really? I really, yes, I really believe that.
2: Yeah.
1: And and they shouldn't exist. Psychopaths, social psychopaths.
0: But maybe they're just like... Um... A different type of cell that's malfunctioned, but doesn't it's mean...
1: malfunctioned and should yeah. be destroyed.
0: Oh, dear. That's very absolute.
1: <laughs> well, this is an old man talking. I've had this shit. You know, I've been trying yeah. to be nice. I've tried to be nice for 78 years and I've given up now. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. Yeah. You know, so
0: who somebody, are you talking somebody,
1: about? Well, these right-wing fascists who want to kill us. Yeah who are running the world at the moment.
2: Yeah.
1: Totalitarians, you know, the pe- people who, well, it's obvious, you know, they're removing healthcare from poor people, they're throwing more and more people on the street, they don't give us stuff, and Morrison's giving millions of healthcare money to private schools, nothing to public schools, you know. On it goes.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: and if mm-hmm. the fascists end up running the world what will happen in in evolutionary terms we know what's going to happen in the evolution of the fascist world pd espensky pointed it out in 1929 when he watched the rise of hitler yeah pd espensky espensky he was a student of gerthe And he wrote a fabulous book called A New Model of the Universe. And one of the things he says in it, which I really love, I mean, he said some awful things in in it. He didn't really understand about different races. But um, one of the things he did understand was what would be the evolutionary progress of a fascist state. Mm. And he said, the end result of the evolution of a fascist state, you would end up with a termite mound. A yeah. so termite mound is a totally fascist state and with perfect air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it is. Yeah.
1: You know, the workers do the work and if they don't work, they're killed straight away. Right? So, uh, you know, the, these fascists want to, want to become insects. They don't know. They think it's you know. They think it's a good life. But the insects think they have a bloody good life too. Yeah. You know they have plenty of food, plenty of babies, and they just run out of their little holes and go and pick up some sticks and turn it into food or something. You know, kill all the other insects around. Study ants. Ants are terrible fascists you know there are colonies of ants that have slaves yeah they enslave other colonies of ants yeah get to do all the work huh? it's wow. weird it's really terrible yeah anyway that's that's what we've got to do that's why it's important to have that sense of being here that sense of of feeling composed and sense of being integrated and sense of not necessarily joy or happiness, but not sadness either, you know, it's a sense. And I noticed in works of great literature and in works of pop culture that there were always moments of those peak experiences that impinged on the otherwise narrative of a storyteller's message. I say impinged because I think a lot of people studying these works really don't know why these sections of the work are there. And... um, I a, a short, a, a, one, one, one example of this is from a Long Day's Journey Into Night, Eugene O'Neill, which I was very lucky to see a production of in New York with Vanessa Redgrave and Edmund, the son, at one point during the play. The play is basically about drug taking. But at Edmund, at one point, who's the only real sane member of the family, he tells his father about the ecstasy of some of his experiences at sea when he left home. And he's on the bow of his ship, watching the waves crash over the bow. And he says, and I quote in Act 4, For a second you are see and seeing the secret of and the secret of the secret of the secret for a second there is meaning another great american writer steinbeck reading the last two pages of the grapes of Wrath* brings a tear to my eye and i've read it many times extraordinary story about poverty in america and the way poor people are treated in America in the 30s which seems to be happening again now. There's one character in The Grapes of Wrath written in 39, written about the Great Depression. Jim Casey in Chapter 4, it's about a family who are travelling to escape the Great Dust Bowl and to find work, a place where they can live. And they're abused and treated badly wherever they go. In chapter 4, Jim Casey, one of the family members, says, wow, before I knowed it, I was saying out loud, the hell with it. There ain't no sin. There ain't no virtue. There's just stuff people do. It's all part of the same thing. I say, what's it called, this spirit? And I say, it's love. I love people so much, I'm fit to bust sometimes. I figured, why we got to hang it on God or Jesus? Maybe, I figured, maybe it's all men and all women we love. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit, the human spirit, the whole shebang maybe all men got one big soul every's a part of it everybody now i sat there thinking it and all of a sudden i knew it i knew it so deep down that it was true and i still know it i was very moved by that section of the book
2: Yeah.
1: Going back even earlier, when I was 12, my mother took me to see uh, Carmen Jones, pop version Oscar Hammerstein II. And I was absolutely quite thrilled by the words of the Gypsy song. I'll tell you why I want to dance. It ain't the sweetness in the music. I like the sweetness in the music. But that ain't why I want to dance. It's something thumping in the bass. A bumpin' underneath the music. That bump bump bumpin' under the music is all I need to start me off. I feel it beating in my bones. It feels like 20 million tom-toms. I know there's 20 million tom-toms beaten way down deep inside my bones. I feel it beaten in my heart and then I get a kind of dream. And in my dream, it kind of seems there's just one big heart in all the world. There ain't but one big heart for all the world. Beat out that rhythm on a drum. There's just one big heart in all the world, and I'm quite moved by those. Just those three examples.
0: I think it's. Um, I think they're really great examples because they obviously talk about this idea of a, a universal energy or a cosmic consciousness as one thing that we're connected to, but they're done. In different ways that you can kind of see the humanity of that, and how the how the humanity is that.
1: Mm. Exactly, and that's the sign of great artists. I think they're actually they're able to explain these very deep concepts in the centre of a normal story, a narrative, which could be very popular. Yeah, and that way these deeper concepts can be brought to people.
2: We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Roger Foley-Fogg. Today,
0: Roger continues to bring his ideas of a cosmic consciousness to the people through his work on a series of multimedia performances telling the story of the cultural revolution of the 60s and 70s. One of Roger's most recent works is the colourful lighting in the main street in Nimbin on the northern rivers of New South Wales. Nimbin is famous for being the home of the Aquarius Festival in 1973. You can see a video for Roger's work in Nimbin on the Hearness.org website along with all other references for this podcast. We shall leave you now with a piece of music that Roger has chosen for the episode called La Luna by Marguerite Montes and Peter Urquhart. La Luna is an improvised lament based on an ancient Zambra, which is a dance and song from the Granada, Almeria, Sierra Nevada and Alpujarras Mountains of Andalusia in Spain. Roger finds it very spiritually moving and Marguerite herself has described it as evoking a duende. An ancient telluric energy that rises deep from within the earth and our own DNA. It rises through the soles of one's feet and is expressed best in music, song and or dance. Marguerite says traditional Romani or gypsies of Spain refer to everything organic and inorganic as being imbued with duende if it leaves you feeling in awe. Duende is interpreted as simultaneously being of the earth and suffused with numinous forces.